My guest today was Amanda Lee. Amanda is a registered dietitian and educator. She's passionate about helping people adopt a healthy but realistic diet. We talk food culture from veganism to the carnivore diet and clear up some nutrition jargon and misconceptions. Check her out on social media and at her website, wsimplified.com, available in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, and welcome, Amanda Lee. Amanda, do you want to maybe just say a couple words uh, about yourself and why you're passionate about food? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Amanda. I'm a registered dietitian as well as a chef and professor. Um, I absolutely love food because of the power it has on nourishing our body, our mind, as well as our soul. I've had a little bit of a, my own personal kind of journey with uh, poor food as well as body image issues. And so now that I've kind of come out on the other side, I really kind of can see just in terms of what food can actually do for the body in a positive way, as well as um, in a more detrimental way when someone has a poor relationship with food. Great. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. So food is obviously like a huge part of our world, understandably, because it's essential. We have to eat to survive. Uh, but food has also kind of become a very cultural thing, uh, obviously. So, you know, you go to different parts of the world and they'll have totally different diets and and whatnot. And also the role of food in culture is kind of fascinating. I wanted to talk today a little bit about kind of the how food is understood in Western culture, I suppose, in different ways, and just explore a little bit of kind of the, the fads that we see in the Western world in particular. Obviously, we talk forever if we talk about food and culture and all that stuff. But um, so as a dietitian and, and someone who has consulted with me a little bit just on a, on a friend uh, sort of level, mm-hmm. um, I just want uh, it'd be cool to hear you share a little bit about food fads that you like and maybe that you don't like as well that are kind of popular today or maybe ones that are sort of neutral, but you would caution on or say something about. No, for sure. And there, there's many, many diets to choose from, but let's start off with the ones I actually really, really uh, like. Um, and uh, I always kind of, whenever someone comes to me and asks me like, oh, what do you think of this diet? I always have to throw back the question at them. Like, why are you choosing this diet? Like, what's the purpose of it? And what have you heard about this diet? Um, and so one of the ones that a lot of people are trying out is like the paleo way of eating, right? So this one mostly came out almost a decade ago when it comes to the popularity of it. But I really do like it as a diet for people to start off on because it's not highly restrictive in any way. And it also teaches people really what is um, like real food, right? Very whole, minimally processed food items. Um, And it also forces people to do a little bit of cooking at home, which is another bonus. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things, one of the diets, I actually really like it when people are like, you know, is it a good one to try out? And it, it doesn't hurt to try the paleo style of eating. You can get you know, very much a variety of different uh, food items. And again, minimally processed is really key. Another uh, diet you probably heard of is Mediterranean style eating. Same thing, not highly restrictive anyway, but it does uh, force people to really look at things like, you know, am I eating enough vegetables and fruit? Am I eating the right types of fats? Another huge part of that particular uh, diet. 
Um, another one is volumetrics. This one is not as common, I find. Um, however, uh, when you think of the word volumetrics, you might be wondering, like, what exactly is this diet? Uh, but it really, the, the premise of it is how to eat in a way that will keep you nice and full and satiated with less calories. Uh, so really, when it comes to volumetric diet, it's mainly going to be coming from a lot of vegetables, right? Just because when it comes to vegetables, you're getting a large volume for it, but not a whole ton of calories compared to potato chips, or, um, you know, melted cheese on things, and other kind of condiments or fatty foods, right? So that's another diet. Again, it's not restrictive, you're allowed to have anything really any type of food, but you're really focusing on those that are going to keep you feeling full with the least amount um, of, of calorie intake. And so those are probably the three that I personally um, really, really like when, you know, when it comes to just uh, diet principles, they're easy to follow, I don't find it too confusing. Um, and they are highly sustainable. And that's really, really key as well is that when you're embarking on a new diet, you got to think of it as a lifestyle change, right? Not just necessarily as a temporary diet, unless you're doing, of course, an elimination style, perhaps you are trying to figure out some food sensitivities, then that might just be for like a three or six month uh, period of time where you then reintroduce foods. But other than that, I think it's really wise for people to choose a diet that they can see themselves follow for a longer period of time or for the rest of their life, really. Um, because if you're only choosing a diet, let's just say to lose a certain amount of weight, the moment you resort back to your original way of eating, you can guess what happens, right? You end up just gaining right. the weight back, right? So what was the point of, of doing that in the first uh, place? Um, so those are the three diets I like. Now let's talk about the three I'm not a huge fan of, again, more so from maybe not, I mean, that I'm not a huge fan of, I think people, I should word it more so three diets that I think a lot of people don't do enough homework with before uh, or on their own before uh, trying out this type of eating. Uh, the first one that's again, very, very popular right now is a vegan or 100% plant based uh, way of eating, right, or even more extreme would be raw vegan. And so when it comes to plant based diets, you can definitely um, follow a plant based diet very, very um, in a way that will give your body all the nutrients it requires, but it does um, also require you to do your own homework, right? And meal planning is so crucial when it comes to 100% plant-based. And not only that, I think the biggest thing people don't realize is when you're on a plant-based diet, the volume of food you need to eat in a given day in order to obtain all the nutrients your body requires is about two to three times. And wow. when you think about the people who choose plant-based, like I'll put throw that question to you. Like if you were to create your own little, like, you know, a, a person that you can just imagine um, who, who do you think are the population that tends to follow plant-based or who may just jump onto this uh, trend? Who do I think would? Yeah. Like what, what comes to mind? Like if you picture a person following a plant-based diet, is there well, um, a person you can think of like a type of person? <laughs> first of all, uh, ridiculous people go plant-based <laughs> and vegan. That's the, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think I would, I, I typically think of actually, you're probably pretty health conscious and you're, mm -hmm. and you probably, you probably want to stay thin and you think fat is bad and sugar, mm -hmm. you know, that those crappy foods are bad and a good way mm -hmm. to kind of 
eat natural and healthy and, you know, you're eating Mm -hmm. vegetables and fruits on a vegan diet. So you're probably a fairly health conscious person. That's what I would think. Yes. And you make a really good point. A lot of times that people also try to go on it again to lose body fat or body weight Mm -hmm. in general. Right. Um, And then I also think about typically from a, from a gender kind of specifics, like a lot of females try to, Mm -hmm. and the, and the thing that, that is kind of worrisome is that some females just have a very small appetite. So when I say that the volume of food has to increase by two to three times, like some people really just can't eat that much food or they're going from one type of diet where maybe they're used to eating highly processed foods. And then all of a sudden now they're throwing in, you know, 20 grams more fiber than usual. You can already imagine how they will feel, right? It's like 20 extra grams of fiber. They're not going to feel the greatest and very, and they're probably going to be like, oh, screw this. I'm just going to eat a bunch of grains now instead. Cause it's, quote unquote, vegan, right, like a bunch of pastas and breads, but then they're really going to be lacking all the actual vitamins and minerals and protein that they need from Hmm. plant based foods. So that's one diet, I'm always very, again, cautious when people try to uh, go on it, Um, I would prefer people kind of transitioning slowly into 100% plant based, um, or at least meet with someone so we can devise a way, Uh, maybe in the meantime, they can take like protein powders to kind of just supplement um, as their body gets used to that amount of fiber, right? Um, the second diet um, is intermittent fasting. And I actually think it's a, a great diet if done properly. Um, but I also find that a lot of people also can do this diet very wrong, right? And so with intermittent fasting, again, super, super popular, but it's basically a diet where you only have a specified window of eating time, right? So maybe it's between 12 and, and 8 p.m. and people have kind of tooted it for its benefits because they've seen a lot of, um, I guess, pros when it comes to like energy levels, maybe their sleep, maybe their their digestion, as well as ability to maintain um, their weight. Uh, But same thing when it comes to intermittent fasting, yes, you have a window of time. And that just means that in that window, you have to make sure same thing, you have to get all the nutrients your body requires in that smaller window, right? So I think some people they go on this diet thinking like, oh, okay, as long as I eat within 12 to eight, I can eat anything, right? I can have my burger and my fries and my milkshake and all these different things. And they actually might still see changes in their body composition just because the number of calories they eat might not be as large because maybe their their snacking window was always between 10 and 12, right? Now that they've eliminated that, but that doesn't necessarily mean their body's getting all the vitamins and minerals requires because they're still choosing the wrong foods, right? So Hmm. that's why like with intermittent fasting, if you don't actually think about how to balance out your meals properly, you could still be falling short of really important uh, nutrients. So that's kind of my thing with intermittent fasting. It's, I think a lot of people just think it's like, oh, it's such an amazing diet, but have you also looked at the other side where it's like, are you actually fitting in all that you need in that window of eating, as opposed to just looking at as like, I can have a free for all as long as I fit it within the 12 to eight kind of font frame or 12 to six or however you uh, decide for your window of eating. Um, The third one that comes to my mind is uh, probably the, oh, okay. So the carnivore diet, and I know you tried that yourself, right? So with the carnivore diet, again, so many, I guess, celebrities and, you know, famous people have, have again, um, tried this diet and, and have also shared a very, you know, really good results for some people where they cured autoimmune conditions and, and whatnot, right? But with the carnivore diet, the only thing is I 
from a long-term um, kind of standpoint, I'm really not sure the safety of it. It just doesn't seem like sometimes when it comes to diet, I just, pe- I just wish people would just have a little bit of common sense. I don't know. Like when you think about it, it's like, how can it be possible that eating only meat and no vegetation at all could be quote unquote healthy? Like, I don't know. Well, it just blows my mind. <laughs> let me, let me, here, here's some, uh, here's common sense for you. This is half okay. joking, right? Okay. A friend of mine would always joke how he's a meatitarian. He's like, well, I don't need to eat vegetable vegetables because the, you know, the, the meat that I'm eating, the animal ate the vegetables and I'm eating the animal. So yeah. perfect. <laughs> oh, but then my, the my thing, my, my thing would be like, okay, if you actually look at what uh, uh, animals are eating now, a lot of them are just being fed grains right? There's mm. no actual vegetables that they are eating right now. They're not eating <laughs> wild grass or anything like that, right? Like, I think that's totally different when you actually have a cow being fed, you know, the, the actual um, diet that they're meant to eat versus a bunch of soy and corn and wheat and barley and all that, right? So right. maybe in the past, if we ate grass fed, it, perhaps it's okay. I don't know. But even then, I'm just like, how do we feed those gut microbes we have, right? That have such a significant role in our own health. Um, so that's another diet I think is just absurd. Like, uh, and I've tried it myself and I don't know, I, I actually create like after two days, all I wanted was vegetables. Like I actually felt sick because I had to eat meat that would have a little bit more fat just so I could feel a little bit more full. But then right. because of that, I actually felt sick. Like it was just like, I would only eat twice a day. Cause that's the only way, like, I, yeah, I would just sit in my stomach for so long. Um, Anyway, so that's another one that I'm not a huge, huge fan of. And I just cringe when people tell me that that's what they want to choose. You cringe. As as, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, obviously, when you first hear it, it sounds ridiculous. Uh, now, I personally speaking, like I did it. And, mm. you know, after a few weeks, like I did notice some autoimmune stuff. Uh, it mm. healed um, and different things. Like my body responded actually quite well. Mm. Uh you know, there was energy issues a little bit, especially at first, there's a big adjustment getting used to fat, you know, athletic performance decreased in certain ways because I didn't have the energy that I did. You needed, Mm -hmm. I needed to supplement a lot with salt Mm -hmm. uh, because I just wasn't getting, getting enough sodium in my diet. Um, but yeah, that said, it it seems like when when it comes to autoimmune things, maybe as a short-term thing, well, let me ask you, since you're the dietitian as a short-term thing Mm -hmm. for those autoimmunes, you know, in your experience and the research you've seen, do you think there's some solid merit there? Yeah, I think that the reason why autoimmune conditions and um, a lot of these symptoms, they kind of improve during the time of when you are strictly eating meat is because a lot of plant foods and grains, they contain things like lectins and phytic acid and mm. oxalic acid and tannins and all these like plant compounds that essentially can be can be um, a source of gut irritants, right? And so rather than saying it's like, this is the diet that's really good, it's just that we removed these compounds that tend to aggravate the gut. But then the next question is, why is the gut irritated in the first place? Like, what was the first uh, cause of this for like, you know, what was the first culprit or um, that, that actually destroyed your gut lining in that sense and create such a hyper permeability. And so if we can find out, like, maybe it's stress, like, and stress was actually what induced mm. this in the first place, yep. then we need to, you know, figure out the source of your stress, correct that, because like the, it's almost just another band aid right? It's like, oh, let's just remove all of this and you're going to feel better. But we actually haven't really treated the root cause of anything either, right? So definitely, I don't disagree that people will actually feel better in some cases when they are following a carnivore diet. Um, But that again, is just masking 
um, things, right? You just removed the, the items that really shouldn't cause a lot of issues if your gut was fully functioning. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I've gathered is, is people are saying like it, it could provide opportunity for the gut to heal maybe after mm-hmm. a, a traumatizing experience or something really bad you ate or, or like you said, stress. I do, That mm-hmm. seems to be associated with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some people argue that carnivores, you know, you can go it and you'll be fine for the rest of your life. But I tend to be a little bit more skeptical myself too. So and common sense, like you kind of said, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, but anyways, that's a whole other conversation. We don't need to spend too much time there. I did have so something you said when you were talking about paleo a moment ago, mm-hmm. you mentioned cooking at home is something mm-hmm. that you like. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that? What is it about cooking at home that you like? Yeah, I just um, the one one big thing when you're cooking at home is number one, like you, you yourself get to be very, very close with your ingredients, right? You're going to be shopping for them. You can, um, you know, you're slicing them, preparing them. And there's just something about getting close to your food where you almost appreciate it a little bit more as well. And then you're also choosing the quality of your ingredients, right? The oils that you'll be using in preparing your dish. Whereas if you're going out to eat or you're buying things already packaged and, um, you know, pre-made, you're not really being able to decide on that right and anything that is pre-made tends to be especially if they have longer shelf life they'll probably have a little bit of preservatives added to it right they might have other chemicals or or whatnot um, added to it just to kind of preserve it and keep it tasting good as well as looking good right so for the for the aesthetics of piece of uh, things and so that's why like when it comes to cooking at home I think you just get a huge kind of um, a bonus in that sense because you can choose the quality of your ingredients. And not only that, I also find that when you are preparing foods at home, you can also decide better the portion sizes of things. And it also ends up being experience for you. And so when it comes to eating, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, challenges that I've seen that people face right now is that they're not really taking the time to sit down and enjoy a meal, right? Oftentimes people are eating on the go or they're eating in front of their computer, they're watching TV while they're eating and they're just being very, I guess, mindless in their eating. And when we do that, we really aren't telling our bodies that we are at a, at a uh, time where we need to focus solely on the digestion and absorption of our nutrients. And this can then lead to like a whole other conversation about like why this is a rise in things like acid reflux and irritable bowel syndrome and all these different things, right? But I really am a firm believer, like the state in which you are eating, whether or not it's been in a very calm state, which is exactly how your body wants it, right? We need to rely on our parasympathetic nervous system when it comes to digestion. And so anytime you're anxious, or you're really stressed out, or you're really, again, like you're just like all scrambled, and you're just trying to fit in a meal, right? Those are not really the signals your body wants, or does it listen to it properly when it comes to digestion absorption. So you may have less release of stomach acid, less pancreatic enzymes, right, which then ultimately means you're not able to fully digest your food and absorb all the nutrients that the food can offer. So I think when you're eating at home, again like if you do have that time to kind of relax and just cook and then sit down maybe with your family or someone else like you know maybe not just by yourself and eating it always ends up being a better experience overall and you can fully enjoy um, the food in front of you Mm. and it sounds like just that maybe safe relaxed environment is actually just good for your body not not only in and of itself but like in consuming the food 
for mm-hmm. digestive digestive issues and all that sort of thing. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. Um, I also wondered if part of eating at home is, uh, I mean, it's, you, you mentioned the quality of ingredients and that sort of thing. Is it in part because, you know, if you're going to eat at home, if you're cooking for yourself, you're more likely maybe to, uh, well, pick healthier foods, I suppose, but also maybe just have more whole foods where if you're mm-hmm. buying fast food and that sort of thing, it's more highly processed. Is that part of it for yes. you? Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Like when you're making your own meal, you're probably going to be like, okay, like, you know, what's my protein going to be for the night? Um, what kind of vegetable do I want for a side and everything? Right. So you can really, again, choose the particular uh, vegetables or even grains and the protein that you are putting on your uh, plate. Um, and then I know for myself, when I prepare my meal, I always want to look for different colors, right? Because for me, like a huge part of eating is also the presentation of the food. Um, and this is something about, you know, even if it's just very simple, like having a roasted red peppers and asparagus with a piece of steak and um, a rice peel off, right? Like that in itself, you can have so many different colors. And then that also makes the meal more enjoyable just because it just looks really pretty on your plate. <laughs> well, it's not something I would necessarily think of, but uh, <laughs> maybe if you're a foodie, that's a bit more of your thing. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, this, this uh, podcast is called define your terms. Uh, it's not necessarily what we're always doing, defining, you know, specific terms all the time, but I think it might be helpful for people to understand a little bit more of some of those, uh, um, well, phrases and words that we're already kind of using. So, so could you even define for us processed foods and whole foods and why it's ideal to pick one over the other? Mm. So when you hear the word processed, it there's like from a culinary standpoint versus more of like a manufacturer standpoint, because if I took a carrot and I cut it into what we call it baton or like sticks, like or even julienne, technically we've processed it in a way, mm. right? We peeled it, then we chopped it and all that. But when we talk about more from a health standpoint, process just means it's gone through many layers of um, steps that's involved in that final product. Uh, so for example, even like, let's just take the very, very um, simple example as oatmeal, right? So the most whole state of oatmeal is getting what we call like steel cut oats, right? And so that one is literally just the oatmeal grain, and it's kind of been just chopped up kind of, right? And so the the grain is still very much intact, so there's just smaller pieces. Then we mix, so that's the most minimally processed or the whole, the closest that we can get for a whole whole um, food kind of standpoint. Then the next phase from there is we get the rolled oats. So the rolled oats now, we have taken those steel cut oats and we basically put it through um, kind of rollers, like heat rollers and rolled it out. And that's why they're called rolled oats. And so why have we done this? Because from a cooking perspective, cooking wise, it's a lot faster to cook because now it's actually already been heat pressed and it's rolled. Rolled means more surface area. So heat can be distributed, right? So rolled oats can be cooked on the stovetop within like five or six minutes kind of deal, right? So that's like one another layer of processing. Then we have our quick oats. So quick oats cooks in two to three minutes or as the package says, right? And so that one is it's rolled oats. So we first, again, start off with steel cut oats. We roll it and then we chop it up into a little bit smaller pieces than the large rolled oats. Um, and that's like another layer of processing. Then our final one is our minute oats. And those are kind of like our instant minute. Well, technically instant oats is even tinier grind than the minute oats. But it's again, same thing 
after the heat rollers, we chop it up, but now we chop it even finer. And so depending on the fineness of it, it could be minute oats or instant oats. So again, the instant oats would be the most highly processed of the of the, all of these different types of oatmeal, right? So why does this matter? In most cases, the more processed a food item is, the more highly digestible it is. And when it comes to carbohydrates, the highly digestible ones also translate to ones that will shoot your blood sugar levels faster than those mm. that are more close to its whole form, right? And then that's where it gets dangerous is when our blood sugar levels spike so quickly. And if we're, it, it ends up being what we call hyper palatable at that snap, at that point, right? So it's highly digestible, leaves our stomach very, very quickly, hits our bloodstream really fast. So now not only will we be left hungry faster, but now our blood sugar levels are also going through a roller coaster ride all the time kind of deal, right? Hmm. So I think that's the biggest thing people to understand is that in general, the high, the more processed something is, the more digestible it will be. And um, in, in many cases, this also means less fiber, right? So if we take, uh, say, uh, whole grains, right? So the whole grains, the whole form will have all three layers of the grain kernel intact. So we have the bran layer, which is the outside. Then we have the endosperm and the germ layer. So those are all three layers of a whole grain. But when we process this whole grain and we're left with just say white flour, now we removed most of the fiber. We removed a lot of the B vitamins and other healthy fats. Though manufacturers oftentimes now will, will again, they'll fortify and enrich back the, the nutrients that were lost. But a lot of the fiber is still lost in that sense, right? And it's also been more processed. So it's going to be breaking down a lot quicker um, in our system. Hmm. So I hope that answered that question uh, in a clear way. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like, you know, processing something, we're always processing when we cook or when we cut yes. something up, the more quote unquote whole a food is, is the more it is like in its original form out of the ground, mm -hmm. off the tree, that sort of thing. Exactly. And then the problem with processing, uh, well, there's probably a few, but one is can spike your blood sugar maybe more quickly than you'd like. Mm -hmm. um, oh, what was the other one that you mentioned? Spikes oh, blood sugar. Yeah, less fiber. Now, it, it sounds like it could also be the case that the more processed a food is, you might actually just be losing other nutrients as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, potentially. Mm -hmm. Unless, yeah, unless the manufacturer has decided to like enrich it back, which a lot of times it, there is like, um, they are mandated to. So like wheat flour, they have to enrich it back. Um, mm. But in some cases they don't, they don't, right? So like in, in rice, for example, like rice products, they don't have to add back B vitamins if they don't want to. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like there's a little bit of a trade-off because sometimes maybe you do want a more easily processed and digested food. I've heard, well, I think mm -hmm. even you might argue, I've seen, watched some of your YouTube videos and stuff that mm -hmm. certain vegetables you should process, you should cook, you shouldn't mm -hmm. eat them raw. Mm -hmm. um, do you maybe want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So remember how earlier I had mentioned that those different plant compounds, such as like phytic acid or oxalic acid and tannins and all these different things, right? Mm -hmm. So with oxalic acid and phytic acid in particular, these are removed during cooking process um, or soaking and sprouting, right? So if we take something um, like spinach, okay, so when people think of spinach, they think about iron, right? They think about iron, they think about other minerals. Um, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the iron, the calcium in raw spinach is basically unavailable to us right so when we hmm. eat raw spinach you think you're getting calcium you think you're getting a good source of iron but really you're not um, and why it's because it's bound in this oxalic acid bond right and so in order to break apart this bond you have to apply heat 
And so this is where spinach is actually way more absorbable when it comes to mineral content in them when you lightly saute it or steam the actual spinach. So that's in one case where when you are uh, cooking a vegetable, you actually end up getting a little bit more nutrient value than mm. just eating it raw. And there's many more examples of that. Like I could talk about bok choy is another example. Like a lot of the um, Chinese greens, those most of them are you have to cook it. And that's why mm. it, in most well, my, my background is Chinese, but in most most cases like we rarely eat raw vegetables I think the only time is when we're having I don't know a salad or, or whatnot where I'm taking romaine lettuce and whatnot but I, I even cook romaine lettuce sometimes too so and um that's just again when it comes to vegetables there's many where you should actually cook it in order to reap a lot of the benefits um mm. and, I, and then some cases like grains such as uh, or grains and like lentils and black beans and any of those type of legumes and pulse family they are also going to be a lot more um, absorbable when you soak and sprout the beans and lentils ahead of time before boiling. Um, so there's another kind of uh, huge kind of area of like this, like learning how to sprout your own beans at home. It's really, really easy. Um, but that's one thing I always highly recommend to my plant-based eaters is that in order to kind of, again, reap all the benefits that that uh, bean or pulse or lentil can offer is to soak and sprout before boiling. Hmm. So it sounds like you might be confirming something that I've thought for a long time, and that is that we should not eat salads. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say don't <laughs> eat salads. <laughs> Everything in moderation. And, and also like lettuces will have a little bit less of oxalic acid. Like if you took, um, you know, again, like romaine or like bib or Boston lettuce, they don't have much oxalic acid bonds in there. Um, so it's more so things like kale and bok choy um, that, uh, and spinach and Swiss chard and all those type of greens. Okay. I would cook. Interesting. So kale and spinach in my smoothies, not quite as effective. No, actually, that's a huge one where I always tell people that they're going to put make. Oh, so it's so funny because that fad was crazy. Okay, yeah. wait, I have to tell you this funny story because uh, once upon a time, I was working at a clinic and there was this um, patient that came in. Um, and he suffered from kidney stones. And I was like, Oh, tell me about your diet. And he was like, Well, I have a protein shake with whey protein and a ton of baby spinach every single day. And I drink it like twice a day. And I've done it for a couple of months. And now I'm left with like kidney stones. And they're like calcium stones too, right? Calcium hmm. kidney stones. And I was like, Oh, well, you know what it is, right? And he's like, what? I'm like, it's your green smoothies. And he's like, what? This is like, you know, I thought it was the epitome of health. And we I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, it's exactly that. It's the, the oxalic, the oxalates basically bound to the calcium, the whey protein, and that's what causes stones. Hmm. So, yeah. So what you really should be doing if you're making smoothies and you want to add the greens in, you can still add the greens, but I would recommend blanching your greens quickly first, like either steam or blanch, and then you can just chill it or freeze it. And then that way, when you make your smoothie, you can just pull it out of the freezer, add it to your berries and whatever else you want to add to your smoothie and then blend uh, everything together. What's blanching? Uh, blanching is when you uh, boil, uh, you know, a large pot of water until it's like actually, like, you know, very, very much bubbly. And then you stick your greens in for literally like for a second. So you throw it in and then you quickly ladle it back out. So you can use like a spider thing or like a, um, a strainer just to pull it all out. And then you would then rinse it under cold water to kind of lock in that color. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Um, speaking of calcium, you're sort of making me think about milk right now. Mm -hmm. um, milk's obviously hotly debated. Well, at least in the West where we actually still drink cow's milk in particular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, any 
thoughts on milk? I know a lot of people, including carnivore people, actually are are sort of arguing you shouldn't have dairy. Some mm. carnivore people they go back and forth on this, uh, but that you shouldn't have milk. Uh, that even the calcium in it's not actually you shouldn't be like it doesn't actually help you. Uh, it's inflammatory and that sort of thing. Is there any evidence to those sorts of claims? And what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not, I'm not against dairy. Um, I actually, I drink milk, <laughs> but I don't think it's necessarily, okay. I should say in some cases, yes, it can be inflammatory. There's definitely people who cannot digest the proteins properly hmm. and it can lead to like phlegm or like, you'll hear like people's skin gets worsened, or again, they may have like, um, you know, post-nasal drip. And so in that case, it's like, yes, for those individuals, definitely, I think you should stop uh, drinking dairy, right? And a lot of it has to do with the inability to digest the protein, not just the lactose, like you'll hear people like lactose intolerance or, or whatnot, right? But that's just the inability to break down the lactose sugar. But I think more so um, is if you cannot break down the protein in milk, so it could be the casein protein, it could be the whey protein in milk, then that could be the reason why it ends up being inflammatory, just because you're not being able to fully digest the proteins, right? Hmm. So that's one thing. So if you can't digest a protein, then yes, I don't think you should be consuming um, dairy. Um, and then also the source of dairy is also very important. Like is, is the cow, is it like, is it, or um, like or the, or the feed of the cows, is it mostly again, grain-based? right? So then now even the fatty acid profile of your milk will differ than cows that have been just, you know, roaming freely, walking around, eating what's out there, be it hay or grass or whatnot, right? So the nutrient profile will differ between those cows and one that again is stored indoors and just given, um, you know, feed from the, the farmer and whatnot. So I think that's another big part is like, you know, what kind of, you know, the type of milk you are buying, the type of dairy products. And then also now think about the, when we talk about processing, you can take cheese, for example, you can get cheese that is just literally milk or cream and bacteria culture. Or you can get cheese with like modified milk ingredients and oh, whatever other fillers they decide to put because they want to cheapen mm. the product, right? Yeah. So then that's another big part is like, what's the quality of the dairy you are consuming? And perhaps it's more so of that than that dairy itself, like just pure milk or just pure cream right? as the culprit. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's I'm glad to hear you don't hate milk because I really do love milk. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, even in, I studied kinesiology, took a couple of nutrition courses at McMaster university. And, you know, the evidence seemed pretty strong, actually, that milk was great for you, particularly mm -hmm. for muscle protein synthesis and, yes. you know, just athletic performance. Mm -hmm. But obviously I think this is one of the things that seems to be abundantly clear, uh, you know, as, as you listen to podcasts and, and experiment with food cross-culturally, it's like, it, it's really person to person. There's probably genetic profile, Mm -hmm. uh, that matters. And there's a whole lot of individual differences that are going to dictate what food is right for what person. Yeah. And actually, I want to add one more thing is that depending on where you were born, um, so the type of cows, so in Canada, for example, in the States, we, we mostly breed the cow called Holstein. So the Holstein breed of cow, but their protein profile is actually different from cows from say Asia and Africa. So if you're born in those countries and then you came to Canada and all of a sudden, like you hear this all the time where people are like, I can't drink milk here, but when I go home, mm. I can drink it. Right. Yeah. And that's actually because the protein profile is different. We actually have more, what we, um, 
Like there is one that's called A2 protein and we have more of it in the Holstein breed compared to other breeds of cow. But in Canada, North America, we, we basically almost always exclu exclusively breed for Holstein now. There's only a few farms in Ontario. Um, I don't know about other provinces, but in Ontario, we have like two or three that actually have what we call like A2 milk that removes the A2 protein. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So A2 is less popular now. We don't, we're not breeding it as much. Um, it's a, sorry. So A2 is a protein found in um, milk from Holstein breed cows. Oh, okay. So, but that's the one that's most commonly breed. Hmm. But now if you go to the supermarket, there's actually milk called A2 milk. And so the A2 milk hmm. is basically, they remove, um, yeah, the A2. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. fascinating. I've heard, I've heard someone argue that A2 cows are bad. Like you should not consume milk from those cows. Is, is there, has there been any evidence that you're aware of that would suggest that's to be the case? Mm, no, I have never heard aware of that of? one. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's fascinating. Cause that's that man, it just makes it so complicated. I feel like just listening to you right now. Cause it's like, there's like the, the food landscape, there's just so much to think about depending on, I guess you can just go with how you feel and how you react to different foods, but mm. there's like a whole lot of, a whole bunch of things to consider. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. keep up to date <laughs> yeah oh for sure well thankful for people like you uh who kind of do that stuff for us i think sorry, sorry. Corey. i have to correct myself earlier sure. i said it only can it does not contain a2 it's it, sorry it contains a2 and it's a2 beta casein protein it's the whole scenes that produce both a2 and a1 so it's the a1 beta casein that a lot of people cannot digest so the oh, a2 okay. beta casein is the one that um, that other breed of cow produces, but it does not produce a one beta casein. Okay. So it's often a one that is the problem for yes. Eastern profiles coming over here. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So maybe we can shift gears a little bit here. We've kind of talked about, you know, carnivore and, and these sort of diet fads that are going on. Obviously one of the attitudes that has kind of shifted in the last maybe decade or so is uh, a shift kind of from like, fat being a problem to mm -hmm. carbohydrates being a problem. Mm. Uh, could you speak into that? Maybe if you want to explain a little bit of the history, that'd be great, but also like why this shift and is there anything to it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you go back into history and we had that whole era where people were like, yeah, fat is like the, the, the devil, <laughs> we shouldn't be eating fat. And then you know what manufacturers ended up doing was that they took out. So the whole prime example, I think, I think I remember learning this from school too. Like I never, I don't remember eating these cookies, but they're called the snack well cookies. So essentially the snack well cookies used to be really high in fat. Then they removed the fat and then they replaced it with sugar right? Or like other fillers that are carbohydrate based. So now everyone's diet ended up being way higher in carbs, as opposed to fat. And then what did we see? We saw even more when it comes to the rates of like heart disease and diabetes and, you know, strokes and heart attacks and all these different things. So then all of a sudden we shift over and like, oh, it's the sugar and the carbs that are the, the devil, right? And so it's just that the pendulum just swings from one side to another. But I think the biggest kind of like takeaway here is if we eat anything in too much amounts, like excess amounts, it's always going to cause harm, right? So mm. this goes back to that whole idea of common sense, like, don't go crazy on fat, don't go crazy on carbohydrates, have something in the middle. Um, and so now when it comes to, I guess, sugar and like carbs, um, and then this is where 
diets like keto is becoming so popularized as well because it's all about people have such ingrained now that carbs are bad right and that you know if you're trying to be healthy like you hear all the time or at least from my clientele they're like oh yeah I'm eating less carbs because I'm trying to be healthy and I'm like who told you that carbs was like eating less carbs equates to health I don't Mm -hmm. know where that came from but I think this is where people are getting very confused because believe it or not fruits and vegetables and nuts, sorry, uh, beans and legumes are carbohydrate based as well, right? So by saying that carbs are bad, you're also now saying that broccoli is bad, that lentils are bad. So Mm. instead, um, we can say more so like highly processed carbohydrates, I would say should take up less of our diet. Uh, But even then, it's not necessarily the devil, like no food is a bad food. But if you eat too much of it, then now you are mis you know, you are taking away space in your stomach for actually nutrient dense foods. So if possible, like getting um, into what we call like 80, 20, right? So 80% of the time we should be choosing foods that are more uh, whole based, um, you know, closer to again, what's found in nature and foods that are actually going to give us the, our bodies with the vitamins and minerals requires. And then 20% of the time, feel free, like have your ice cream cone when you want to have your piece of cheesecake when you want to, right? And it doesn't have to be off limits. Um, but this is where I think people need to practice a little bit more of balance and moderation. Um, and also just portion uh, control. It just so many people are just again, eating, eating highly processed foods, like out of the bag and finish an entire bag of potato chips, right? And it's considered normal. And um, I don't know how that is normal. Um, but yes, Sorry, I don't know if I got your original question. I think you did. Yeah. Basically, I mean, the anti-carb attitude is as, I don't want to say silly, but not true as the anti-fat attitude. Mm -hmm. It's really about moderation and what kind of works for you. Both are viable sources of energy, I suppose you might say, Mm -hmm. Um, as long as you're getting that your fat and your carbohydrates, ideally from healthier sources, ideally less processed. Yes. I think maybe it's a marketing thing. You know, it's just easier when people are like, oh, let's just point our fingers at one thing, right? And blame it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you can smack a, you know, a low fat label on it or, or low sugar diet option, it's like, it's mm-hmm. that much more likely to catch the eye. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have your own journey uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with, you know, a, a kind of diet issue, an eating mm-hmm. uh, disorder. Mm -hmm. Uh, But how might you speak to prevalent attitudes that you think are unhealthy about food in the West in particular? Mm -hmm. I think the big thing, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the whole idea like this food is good and this food is bad, right? Characterizing Mm -hmm. food um, in that language. um, Again, it makes no sense, right? Like how can a potato chip be good or bad? Like, I I don't really think you can kind of say that. Like, yes, potato chips are highly processed. Um, They do digest uh, fast and they're hyper palatable in that way, right? Versus a whole potato is very, very filling, full of potassium and fiber and, and that, right? So that's the first thing is like, people just putting food as good or bad um, at a very, very early age too. Um, And then another, I think another big, um, I guess thing that's coming up recently that I've noticed is that whole idea that lower calorie means better for me. Hmm. And that, so like, I don't know what it is. It's just like, people just assume that it's like, oh yeah, it's very, very low calorie. So it must be healthy. Right. Um, And so we, now we have all these products that are like, calorie free salad dressing or like you know what I mean? have you seen those where it's just like what 
Okay, if it's calorie free, what is it made out of, right? It's like yeah. it's salad dressing. Salad dressing should be vinegar and oil. So if it's no calories, then it's going to be full of chemicals. So how can you tell me that a bottle of chemicals is better than a bottle of olive oil and vinegar, right? Like that just, again, blows my mind how people have now accepted that um, as well. So those are the two. It's like, again, labeling good or bad. And then the second one is low calorie means healthy. You seem to have a bit of like, well, obviously you're a dietitian and, and so you want people to adopt healthier uh, lifestyles and healthier eating as part of your work. That's part of what you want to see happen. And it mm. seems like the vibe I get from you, both seeing your online presence and even as we're talking now is like you, you kind of want to see food become an enjoyable experience, like something fun. Mm. Uh, how might you suggest people can make food actually f- a fun and enjoyable experience such that they're more likely to adopt a healthier lifestyle in, in terms of eating? Mm. I think of it as number one is like, as humans, we are creative beings, right? I, I really truly believe, I don't, I don't know. Some people say I'm not creative. I'm like, no, we were made to be creative beings and we're creative in different ways. Right. And so when it comes to food, um, I like to kind of encourage people like pretend you are an artist in the kitchen, right? You might not be super, you know, um, you might not have really good knife skills, let's just say, right. But you can still choose different elements that will create an image, right? Like a picture, different colors. And so one of the things is you can go to the grocery store, maybe choose an ingredient that you never cooked with, right? And now you can take it home. You can, you know, pull out your phone, Google it, right? And find out exactly what it is. There's a really cool, like, uh, cookbooks now. Like, my favorite one's called The Flavor Bible, which I actually highly recommend for people who are new in the kitchen because it's this literally a book where you can look at any ingredient and it'll, it'll teach you how to pair that ingredient. So maybe you picked up an artichoke from the grocery store. You're like, oh, this thing looks so spiky and so weird. Like, I want to choose this vegetable to try out, right? But you have no idea what flavors will go with it. And then this flavor Bible will then tell you like, oh, artichokes are really good with butter and lemon and garlic and parsley and whatever, you know, maybe some uh, fish as well, right? Different uh, types of fish. And then there, from there, you can then choose a few of those items and you basically create your own meal. So it's almost like a little bit of a game in in that sense Hmm. and treat it like that. I think it also makes it way more um, enjoyable. And then also if you can, you know, have a friend tag along, then the two of you can also work together or maybe the three of you or whatever it may be um, and have it as like, like a weekend activity. I mean, and especially now with the, well, as we are still in lockdown at the moment, like these type of things are kind of fun, right? Even if you did, I've done a, a few virtual ones too um, mm-hmm. with friends and it's just, yeah, an activity that people can just play around. And you can't really say that people only eat for function. I think like everyone can learn um, to really view it as an experience mm-hmm. and a very wholesome one too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the food Bible. I do have friends who actually swear by that thing. They got it when they were married and the just flavor made- Bible. Yeah, yes. Flavor Bible. And uh, they just sort of made it like one of their weekly, if not almost daily things where they would kind of go through it and just experiment early in their mm-hmm. marriage. Yes. So part of it, you know, they made it a date night. It was, you know, a, a thing they did together, mm-hmm. uh, but also set them up for like healthy and just enjoyable food, uh, like a food food life. I'm trying to figure out the word like that we call it here, but like a food life and eating life. Uh, mm. for the rest of their lives. So it's kind of become this almost habit or pattern. Yes. Um, I definitely think it's something that you just sort of have to give time to. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of the reasons it seems, I, you can maybe agree or disagree with this, but it's, it seems like one of the problems in the West is food is one of the reasons it becomes for function, or even if it is for enjoyment, it's still done quickly. Uh, yes. It's like a time consuming thing. And so that's why we want fast food. That's why we want the quick thing. And mm-hmm. of course, there's a bit of a trade off when it comes to that, the quicker you're getting it, uh, mm-hmm. the less healthy it seems to be. Yes. Well, that's why there's all that invention of like instant pot, right? You can have right. it instantly. So it could be in the West. We just want everything like that. Like, you know, we can't have delayed gratification. We just want it now. Um, and so we have all these, you know, um, just at our fingertips, we can order Uber Eats whenever we want kind of thing, right? And even our devices, we want it really, really fast and everything made. And there's just something about the Instant Pot where certain dishes I still cannot use my Instant Pot uh, for because it's just so different doing it on the stovetop. Like, I can't explain mm. it. Like, I swear it tastes different. <laughs> I should actually do a taste test next time where it's like I have like a braised, like a curry brisket, like either done the Instant Pot or on the mm. stovetop and just have people taste it. But in my opinion it does taste very different well this has been a fascinating conversation i'm wondering we mentioned the flavor bible um Mm -hmm. are there any other resources that you would recommend for people if they're looking to i don't know eat healthier or experiment make food fun that sort of thing or just learn well you could always just go on youtube (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think of what's the one was like oh i really like serious eats serious yeah um it's a website i really really like it though because they do a lot of compare comparing different like cooking techniques um and even like if you melt your butter versus like cream your butter like in cookies and whatnot um but it's a really really good website so it's just seriouseats.com okay great yeah and how about that one often Mm -hmm. yeah well how about your own uh, social media handles and stuff do you want to share that with people and what you're about yeah, for sure. Um, so I do have a website. It does have a ton of uh, recipes as well as I have a whole host of different uh, or library of videos um, that's uh, on YouTube, but it's also found on my website where I answer common nutrition questions. So even the co- question about like dairy, is it a good or is it bad? Um, I do have a video on that as well, or like the uh, implications of caffeine or cortisol as a stress hormone. Uh, so my website is wsimplified.com. So W stands for wellness, but it's just wsimplified and from there i also have my youtube link and my instagram is there as well and all w simplified mm-hmm. great well amanda i think that's our time right now thanks a lot for taking your time with us really appreciate it thank you for having me hope that cleared some things up for you please check amanda out for more great nutritional insights once again w simplified that's wellness simplified online links available in the show notes If you've been enjoying the show, consider leaving a review and sharing with someone you think would benefit. Either way, I would appreciate the feedback if you've got some. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the chat. This has been Define Your Terms.